tuned in to this week's episode of Tribal Research Specialists, the podcast. A podcast about tribal people, our communities, and discussions on research traditions. We aim to uncover the true meaning of research methodological approaches that are currently operating in tribal life with implications for tribal communities and avenues for knowledge production. Seven, maybe, but it's the Fort Kip Singers. You know the Fort Kip Singers, right? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I do. Yes, they're legendary. I do know the Fort Kip. No, yeah, Fort Kip legend. They're they're, they're legendary. Classic, classic. A lot of the songs still circulate now around there, but very distinct style that was really became very popular. I think really high, high singing. If Fort Kip Singers were an '80s classic rock group, who would they be? Um. Oh boy, an eighties one, eighties. Yeah, it has to be eighties, man. I'm not a. Uh, uh, I don't know if there's Come a. <laughs> Maybe that. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd say they're closer. If you go back a generation or or a decade, like the Bee Gees, you know. Well, then it's not funny anymore. Oh, oh, oh! I get it. I get it's it. We're trying to funny. be funny. Not, I thought we were trying you, to be technical. We're trying to be funny. <laughs> No, well, man. if you look at the pentameter of the beat, it's largely like the <laughs> the pentatonic scale does classify. Wah, wah. <laughs> All right, go ahead, keep talking. Yeah, Sorry. Fort Kip singers. Yeah, I mean, people know them. They 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 were of acclaim even today. I mean, you got to get some black market albums of them. I think. Hey, where were they from? Uh, Fort Kip. <laughs> I mean, we're just assuming people know this, man. You gotta, yeah. gotta I don't set know where up. that is. You don't know where that is. Tell tell us about Fort Kip, there, partner. I don't know anything about Fort Kip other than Fort Kip singers. Uh, well, um, Fort Kip is uh, isn't it part of the? Um, um, God darn, I can't even think of the the reservation there now. What is the one in up in the, way up in the north there, north? Northeast Montana. <laughs> I can't it's think like of it. um, Fort Peck. Right? Oh yeah, Fort Peck. There's a, there it's is. like Fort Peck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Fort Peck. Yeah. Yes. Fort, fort Kip. Kip. But Fort Kip was really a fort outside of Fort Peck Reservation. Yeah. Or was it in the middle of I, the reservation? I think it's it is on. It's like in the lower uh, lower right hand corner, Fort Kip. Yeah, so the Assiniboine. But they were like um, mostly Assiniboine and Sioux singers. Correct. Yeah, um, yeah. But Fort Kip was part of that. I think they were kind of part of that classic movement of powwow singers, Mandarin, yeah. Eagle Whistle, 
Blackfoot Crossing. Yeah. Old Agency. Yeah. Big Corner Post. Yeah. Or Big Corner. Not Big Yeah, Big Corner. Haystack. You can put the post on there. It's... You can it's put the proper, post. Well, I don't proper. know. I mean, depends on how old you are. We're doing lo- I didn't know if we are doing long form. I mean, <laughs> I didn't know if, if you're in your 30s, long-form. you don't put the post on. If you're in your 20s, yeah. you don't even don't even mention it. Yeah. yeah. You don't even say singers anymore. No, no. Yeah. See, yeah. back in the day, you would say Mandarin singers. Yeah, you yeah, that dropped. Yeah, you don't even do that now. No, no, that's no. You'll age yourself right away. Yeah, you'll age yourself. Yeah, yeah. Or if you say you 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 tape them, I got the I taped them. <laughs> yeah, even if you didn't, if you put it on your digital recorder, yeah. Even if it's on your phone and you still refer to it as taping. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Ah, cripes. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. So we got a guest today, who I've known for a number of years, and who is not from Fort Kip. Who is not? Let's emphasize, not from Fort Kip. In fact, he's from quite a distance away. And has a um, very unique uh, perspective that uh, I became very interested in. And he's closer to Fort Pitt. Fort Pitt? What? Where's that at? It's closer. I said it's closer. Oh, we don't really know where it's at, but we know it's closer. It's on the Ohio River. It's the confluence of the Ohio. Oh, really? Ohio River. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, it's the outbreak of smallpox happened at Fort Pitt. Fort Pitt, not Fort Pip. Pit. What? Or Pip is different. Is it Pitt or Pip? Pitt, like Pitt. Pittsburgh. Pitt. Pitt. Pittsburgh. All right. Yeah. 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 And yeah. So um, yeah, he's a he's an, an acclaimed scholar. I'll I'm gonna give him that title. Um, don't necessarily know what that means, but <laughs> isn't that what everybody says? Like the MC when they're talking about somebody, they don't yeah. even know them. There's a champion dancer in their own right, and you don't even know them. Won many a contest and yeah. they have no he's idea. Well known. Yeah. <laughs> he's well-known. He's well-known yeah. in Indian yeah. country. Yeah. And his efforts champion, championing the rights of indigenous people. Yeah, yeah. Which doesn't mean anything. Like, it, you could add anything to that. You could. <laughs> so, we're going we're gonna to go MC, powwow MC style. We've got uh, Ryan, Dr. Emmanuel. Is it Emmanuel? Emmanuel. How do you say? I it? say Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Okay. And um, so, so unlike uh, uh, our Hebrew brethren who would say Emmanuel, you you just you you just say Emmanuel. I do, and I oh. I think it just might be my my southern enunciation. I believe Emmanuel. It. Emmanuel. It's an Emmanuel. <laughs> it's electronic. It's, it is a um, it, it is a, a surname that that we trace to the time that my family started speaking English. Really? So there's that. Yeah, that name has some historicity associated with it. Holy cow! Now historicity. That <laughs> ironically, that was the name of my first hip hop album. Historicity. <laughs> historicity. <laughs> yeah um now ryan comes from uh way across the continent the what i like what i when i think about this area i think man these guys these these tribes over here were the were the ones who who um were at the interface of a lot of the things that the us uh rocky mountain tribes uh are dealing with or have dealt with more recently 
So they have a long history of um, of interactions with um, I don't know what do we what do we call them now? Immigrants, white folks, settlers, white folks. Yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to think of a. We just say white folks. Okay, folk. okay, yeah, all right, we'll do that. Uh, a long history of interactions with them, and uh, I became really interested in his perspective and and their uh, their own uh, his own tribal pursuit of of understanding of their history. And um, I, I thought, man, this is um, a good opportunity to have um, Ryan join us and have a little chat about some things that we've been uh, back and forthing a little bit through email, not e-manual, email. Oh, yeah, no. I tried, I tried. I, just, I got an e-manual oh, for, uh, for my new no. webcam. And, no, okay. All right. So I'm excited because Sean Dean kind of like uh, told me a little bit about what you guys kind of been chatting about. So yeah. I say we just get right let's in do there. it so we just get to, right in let, let us what so preface this ryan with um i mean what what's what's the interest in particular that we've been talking about give us a little context yeah so a couple of weeks ago you and i started an an email thread about um the the process of of governments making tribes Right. basically uh, taking taking people who, who may or may not have been um, historic allies or enemies for that matter right and and putting them together either deliberately in the case of making reservations yeah. or sort of indirectly which is the that's the context that I come from so people who are who are fleeing the first wave of colonization yeah. kind of end up in these uh, marginal lands in the southeast um, marginal from the perspective of of the the settlers and the colonists right um, and so regardless of the way that these peoples come together you know they they have a way of of creating new new identities that are still they're still indigenous identities, but they've they bear that mark of colonialism, you know, that that you kind of been been shoved together in, in some way and you have to kind of make a, a, a new identity sort of in the right. in the midst of this sea of colonialism all around you. Right. Right, right. So so what's what's interesting about that, or I mean I guess a couple things that just to demystify or to help me to understand. So when when these tribes in your area kind of band together or got forced together however that happened how how unique or how separate were your cultural pursuits or were they fairly similar i guess that's what i'm kind of getting at yeah so i'll preface this by saying one i'm i'm not a real historian what um <laughs> what <laughs> two what, who, what? <laughs> i thought you i thought we had we're having a historian on today we got the wrong person so, no, I'm just kidding. I think we, I think we just log off. Let's lo let's <laughs> <laughs> Click. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. Okay, keep going. So I, I'm not a real historian, right. but also um, this happened more than 300 years ago. Okay. Right. And and we've lost a tremendous amount of knowledge in that time. Yeah. What we do know is that these were all people who who were of the Eastern Woodlands cultures. They came from three very different linguistic groups. Our ancestors are, oh, really? are made up of people who spoke um, Suan languages like the Sheral and the PD. Okay. Um, people who, who spoke Iroquoian languages, the Tuscarora. Oh, right. And a, a 
group of people along the the, the very coastal margin of the Carolinas. Yeah. Um, who are who are usually called the Carolina Algonquians. Okay. These were the um, Hatteras, Roanoke. Um, that uh, they they didn't they didn't identify as tribes right. at that time at the time of contact. Uh, they they lived in in um, towns. Okay. So these were um, these were independent towns, and and they don't they don't really fit the model of the the stereotypical tribe. Right. But these were all people who encountered these waves of of colonialism that started in the 1500s. Wow. So like North Carolina was was invaded pretty early on. Um, wow. You know, a lot of people don't sort of think about it as an invasion, but you know, it yeah. it was. Yeah, essentially. Uh, there were massive um, epidemics that swept through the region in in the late 1500s, um, and and killed off a large fraction of the native population um, in that region. And by the early 1700s, um, there was there was all out war between the remnants of those native nations who lived in the eastern half of what's now North Carolina yeah um and and the colonial powers in north and south carolina and so those those events the yeah. war disease and also exploitation through right. um fur trade and dependency on um sort of these trading posts yeah uh just really shattered native society in the eastern half um of what is today North Carolina and so, you know, people people went where they needed to go to survive, and these yeah. tended to be sort of the, the margins of their 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 tribal territories. And one of those places is um, what is now Robinson County, a home of the Lumbee people. And that's that's what you guys call yourselves today, Lumbee. Yeah. So Lumbee is a is a geographic place name. Oh, okay. Um, that is. Uh, that that's what we understand to be our ancestral name for the river uh, where we live and where where we have um, spent 300 years sort of building a new um, um, a new I- identity as a as a tribal nation. Yeah. Holy cow. 1500s. The 1500s. What was what was the crows up to in 1500, Aaron? Oh, man. Well. Um, nobody spoke English. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We were, I think they say the first Crow Indian that spoke, could speak English was in like the 1880s. 1880s. The, yeah. The late 1870s. Now it, the, some of the <clears throat> earlier languages weren't French. It was English first. Is what you're saying? I, when I say English, I just mean white people. <laughs> Okay. Okay. All right. All right. We we got another non-historian here. <laughs> so it could be like German. Okay. And, and not, it could be yeah. Yeah. learned another language. Yeah. Yeah. I, Non-crow. Well, maybe there was probably some crows that were probably new enough in French and and enough in English, but right. in the 1500s, I think we were large, largely untouched. You know, that was pre-horse. That was pre-horse here in these areas. This area. Yeah, in our yeah. region, yeah, pre-horse. Um, We're still wandering around on foot. Wandering. Wandering. Uh, <laughs> just out there, just uh, pillaging, just, you know. 
Man, it's hard Creep, to say because uh, around. Yeah. one of our migrations to the West happened right around 1500. That's what I was wondering. That's what I was wondering. So the, the, wh- where would you place it roughly? Just the estimate the, the end of it or the beginning of it or transitionary. It sounds, it sounds like they, they place it right in the middle of the 1500s, but I don't know how that number is ever determined if it's like, because if it's archaeological, that makes things kind of hard because it's hard to identify. Other than pottery, right. it's very hard to identify like that's a crow artifact versus yeah. a Sioux artifact, whatever, you know. Yeah. Pottery, there's two types of major potteries in the West, which is Shoshone and then the other categories, Crow Hidatsa, so... Wow. So. And I know linguistics has some methods of dating language and, and things, but yeah. I'm I'm not real like good at that part. I mean right. linguistics is like it it can get pretty down and dirty, you know, right. like how they're able to determine uh age and language and archaic languages versus like modern modern modernized yeah. language and yeah so i know they do some of that so there's kind of been this determination of like 50 mid 1500s as as one migration hmm. um interesting yeah that that kind of blows my mind you know the the first contact or where the major disruption started to happen over in, in your guys's territory there ryan was 1500s that just blows my mind because we at least i do i think of these times as very um you know very very far far in the in the distant past it is it is in a way but we don't even we we i don't even i comprehend it as like a like this exemplar this time of uh, where things were fairly undisturbed from other i think for us in the west it, it was yeah. i mean for the most part there was i think there was proto effects of of expand of of colonization but right i don't think we were fully aware of that yeah but i do think the midwest for sure was feeling the effects of right what was happening right in the east but for the most part on the missouri river i mean we were still kind of doing our thing yeah yeah uh, at least i'd like to think so i mean yeah. i'm sure down to the minute you can make arguments but yeah we're just, so we're talking like uh, South Carolina, North Carolina today, North Carolina, North Carolina, right? It it's right on the South Carolina border. Um, so, but you know, we had we had Elizabethans running around um, the, the the coastal parts of these territories back That's then, <laughs> and uh, there's there's a well documented um, well documented trip by two um, coastal Algonquian men to London in the, in the 1580s, like during Shakespeare times. Wow. They spent, uh, they spent about a year in London uh, working with uh, this, this guy who was sort of a, they didn't call them scientists back then. I think they were, they were natural philosophers. Yeah. Uh, he, he, he had come to the, uh, to the coast of present-day North Carolina with this first group of of would-be colonizers. Um, he he actually took pretty good notes and and people are pretty grateful for all of his yeah. his, of his his documentation. And while he w- while he was in London with these guys, um, they they taught each other their languages. And he helped to create a, a written version of of their Algonquian dialect. 
Um, Unfortunately, almost all of that uh, material was lost in the Great Fire of London. Uh, But there are some scraps uh, that survive. And I've seen uh, photocopies of some of these where um, one of the uh, one of the Algonquian men, uh, Mantio, is like scribbling in the corner of this um, this parchment and in the script that they created for their own language. And it, it translates to King Mantio was here. <laughs> Some early graffiti. <laughs> yeah. So like all of these like super weird interactions yeah. and it, and it was it, a really long time ago, you know, you've got Shakespeare and Elizabeth and all this stuff happening yeah. in England. Uh, but they're kind of, bleeding over um, military expeditions and, yeah. and colonists um, into into the, the territories of these coastal um, native communities. Um, they're, they're looking for gold and, yeah. and gems and they're they're uh, uh, they're kind of setting off these waves of um, of, of disease and, yeah. and just really disrupting, even before they physically arrive, they're kind of starting to, they're already starting to, to disrupt native society um, along the Eastern seaboard. Wow. It kind of makes me, um, it kind of makes me feel like you guys are kind of like vampires for some reason. I don't know why. What's that show with <laughs> Tom Cruise and the vampires? <laughs> like you guys are vampires. It's vampires. You guys it? are vampires. I mean, they've been, you guys have been, you guys seen the beginning of it. Well, I mean, your guys. And what's begin. messed up is yeah. like, um, at least in the last hundred years, I think natives in the West could have learned something from ob- observing what was happening, yeah. what had happened out there. But we're, it seemed like we were kind of in denial, especially in the last fifty years, in denial that our situation was a little different. But I mean, maybe it was, but the outcome was largely the same. Yeah you know yeah and, and we we refuse to look at other tribes to say hey what what happened with them or how did they were able to still maintain some remnants of who they were i'm not sure if we in montana can survive with any culture left after 400 years or yeah 500 years you know what i mean cuz we've really only been dealing with it for 150 years yeah and we're pitiful yeah 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 <laughs> you know and and so man i add another 100 years to that yeah then another 100 years like what yeah so in a lot of ways it's commendable man it is to be able to say like a tribe can even say their own name yeah you know what i'm saying like yeah, that you know that was wow. that was my thought exactly when we we were chatting about this. I think it was over in uh, uh, one of those. I think it was that Vine Deloria symposium. We were chatting briefly, and I got to okay, thinking for the record. Oh, okay, well, that sounds really boring. <laughs> hey, hey, hey! hey. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> like you said, and we were chatting at the Vine Deloria over a crumpet symposium. Uh, <laughs> uh, I was like. You know what's crazy is I never thought hearing the name Vine Deloria and, and symposium. It's no, it sounded oh. like the whitest statement I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> he's like the Godfather, you know, and it's like God bless. Never thought. 
this 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 uh, symposium, yeah, is is unlike any other that I've attended. So uh, anyway, well, we can talk about that later. But we were chatting. Side note. Okay. Side, side note. note. I only hear white people talk about Vindaloria. <laughs> just, just, I'm just, just throwing it out there. That and Black Elk speaks, right? Yeah, I've heard some Indians. Okay, about okay, Black good. Elk all right, all right. Just, but, just testing the water there. Well, Vine Deloria, I've never heard an Indian like I've never heard like a reser just like quote Vine Deloria. Hey, did you read that Vine Deloria book? When I was up all night. Like, <laughs> why? God, I was reading the Vine Deloria book, man. <laughs> oh yeah, me too, bro. <laughs> I can't wait till I'm done with the Scott Mama Day book. I'm going to pick up some vine. He's a very quotable guy. Yeah. <laughs> just, just not on the res, I guess, right? Uh, okay, let me get by back. By Deloria? Let me get back. Scott yeah. Mama Day. Both. Deloria. No, I oh, agree. Mama Day, too. I, I agree. I, I, I 100% agree. I'm just saying, you got to admit the statement. He's just clowning. I, we were we were discussing this at a Vine Deloria symposium. It's <laughs> a very white statement. We can that. agree, can't that's, we? Can we agree? That's going to be the title of this episode. We were discussing this at the Vine Deloria symposium, or or okay. our interview Dude. with a vampire. Which one? <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. We're getting off track. And but I'm just I just want I want the record to reflect. Yeah, yeah. Point point those things out because yeah. Yeah, no. Oh, gotta, I'm gonna man. Yeah, okay, okay, thanks. <laughs> yeah, anyway. I was remarking on the the same thing you remarked on and it 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 perked my ears. Is that is that okay? Is that res enough for you? Perked? perked. Uh, no, I'm <laughs> not saying that. No, I'm just kidding. No. You shared a common interest. We did. And and my thought was this. You know, we, we should look at these Eastern tribes, us in the West or in the middle part of this country, and and use that as a benchmark for what what could happen or what we may need to do to, to hang on or reverse the clock. Because, I mean, just the that statement alone that Ryan said, in the 1500s, is when this all started. Now, is that when it started? That is that when you guys first kind of had contact, or is that kind of where things were at its maximum of, of destruction? No, I would that, say like fourteen. You guys were you were right after right after the Mayflower, or is it? Yeah, <laughs> no, 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 the no, Mayflower. No, no. <laughs> okay, okay. I, I, I don't know. Just get some get some timeline. Uh, Go ahead. You know the the Spanish uh, marched a military expedition through the entire southeast. Um, in the mid 1500s, they, oh, really? they came all the way up into North Carolina. The the Cherokees documented the you know these conquistadors marching through the mountains. Yeah, in the I don't remember what decade of the the 1500s, but so they came before the Elizabethans, but they didn't they they didn't stay. I, yeah. They might have put up a I think they built like a a military outpost, but yeah, you know, they didn't have the the footprint of the English. Right, right. Hmm. So early 1500s, there's non-native people there. That's what we're yeah, saying, absolutely. regardless of who. Yeah. yeah wow, man. Wow. That's wild. That is wild. That blows my mind. Like I feel like a tourist right now. I know. Me too. I'm like really staring. At like Ryan, I really like, do. Like I, I'm just like trying <laughs> to fathom, like because my focus has been so much the Rocky Mountains, yeah. and especially the Northern Rockies. And I'm just like I'm not. 
Can you guys see my eyes? I can see them. Yeah, they're very tight. That's how I am. That's how I feel. <laughs> Damn, uh, dude. 14, 15, yeah. 15s, man. Yeah, this is really interesting. It, it really interesting and that, that's why I think the 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 perspective of Ryan here as a as a scholar in in western academics and as a I mean he says he's not a historian. I don't know what that means, but I mean he knows a lot more than I know about his area, which should be true. We'll we'll never have a historian on the podcast. No, we can't. Which that's not I think it was one of our stipulations. We just yeah, we just said no. Yeah. We said no. We, if you're if you're next to your name is historian <laughs> you're, you're out. not coming on you're out yeah so yeah. this is the interesting thing that you were you were you were mentioning because um it is it is kind of a common thing that happens with tribes is in in it it kind of perpetuates a little bit of or it breaks or perpetuates some stereotypes this idea of tribes banding together to survive these waves of uh of, um newcomers to put it nicely i guess um but one of the things that you you're you're interested in ryan is this idea of um well i don't know if i imposed this idea inserted it into your conversation but this idea of traditional enemies right so that that idea of the traditional enemy you know was um was imposed upon me by my folks by my community they said oh yeah those those guys up there, those are your traditional enemies. And as I grown into a, a person who thinks for myself, I guess an adult, you come to find out that that's not necessarily true, for the most part. We, I mean, sure, um, uh, wars and alliances came and went, but to have traditional enemies like people you just always hate—that <laughs> that seems like a, a very Western concept that came in later and why why that um attached on to us and our thinking and thoughts i don't know but i'm not sure if that's what you said uh, earlier after all of our banter how that plays into what you were you were chatting about no but i i really appreciated in your earlier correspondence when you brought that up because you also introduced this idea that um that, that alliances and and oppositions are are temporary and people people adapt to whatever they're facing right. at that time or in that generation right um, and and it made me reflect back on the things that happened to my ancestors and it and it is kind of strange when people say well it doesn't sound very plausible that yeah, that 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 folks who spoke an Algonquian language would band together with folks who spoke a Suwan language, right. um, and you know, in, in these same swamps. Right. And you're like, well, you know, they were both they were both facing people who spoke a, not only spoke a radically different language, yeah. but also had very different values about about what was going to happen to their land, right? And uh, you know, in the in the next few years. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, and that. It, it, <laughs> That becomes, the, I think, the more important thing is is this idea of um, alliances. Yeah, there, I mean, so there's some there's been some treaties and some brief treaties among among our tribes that have lasted, you know, uh, only a few minutes, and there's some that have lasted, you know, um, a decade or so. So it's a very fluid concept, and the idea, and I think we've talked about this before about the idea of, um, you know, embracing that 
that a tribe is a, is always going to be your enemy no matter what i think is is um doesn't doesn't align with the with the, our own oral histories and why that became so prominent i don't know So I'm interested in this um, name, the Lumbi. It's a geographic name, you said. And so, what 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 tribal um, groups fall under that? Because I'm I'm not aware. So the I, I I will give you my understanding. Okay. And you know, if you ask ten different Lumbies, you might get six different. You won't get 10, you might get six different <laughs> answers. Okay. Yeah. Um, so the, the origin of that of this name is is historically contested. Right. There there are some who say that Lumbi is the original ancestral name of the river. And the the E E suffix, that that E sound yeah. is common on um, a lot of the rivers in our region. And uh, the linguists say that that's um, that that belongs to the Suan language families. Hmm. So all these all of these rivers in the in the southeast that have the e sound on the end, yeah, um, those those were were rivers named by Suan speaking peoples in the southeast. Hmm. Um, and so people say this is the ancestral name of the river. Some people take it a step farther and say that we remember that this translation is is dark water, and we're people of the dark water. Hmm. And that that goes back to the fact that our river and all the rivers in this region are are black water streams. I don't know if y'all are familiar with that because um, of the carbon phenomenon. all the carbon in the water, right? From the swamps, yeah, etc. They exactly they have their headwaters in swamps and wetlands they don't come out of the mountains so they are full of dissolved uh organic material yeah. and the, the water looks like um, tea it's a really beautiful color yeah. um and so they people say this is this translates to pe people of the dark water um i i i don't know if that's yeah i I'll say that that's that that's contested because right. there are also people who say that the the name of this river is Lumber River, like the wood, oh. because the state of North Carolina uh, declared that was the name of the river in the year 1809. Huh. And they said, oh, you're just mishearing it and and, and trying to make it sound Indian. 
<laughs> so there, there are Lumbee people that say, no, the North Carolinians misheard it oh. and, and called it lumber. But this is, this is contested. Right. Uh, it, it was also called Drowning Creek by colonists. Huh. Um, not sure the origins of that. Yeah. So uh, that this, term uh, either. That's how you find it is Lumber River, huh? Yeah. If um, you look uh, at if you look at geographic place names in Apple Maps or Google Maps, you will look for the uh, Lumber River. The Lumber River. Yeah, lumber. I just did that. So that's some, so the yeah. Go ahead. Lumbee, there's a town called Lumberton. Yeah, that's the that's the county seat. Um, and, it, and the the town is named after the 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 settler name for the river. Right. Hmm. Very so, interesting. Where do you live? Where like what's 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 your address? What's yeah, but you know your address. <laughs> I, no, I'm looking on in, the I'm looking on the Googler. I, I live in Raleigh now, up in the state capital. Ooh. I'm two hours north. Hoity toity yeah. Vine DeLorean. <laughs> hmm. So my uh, my parents both grew up close to the river. My dad uh, grew up in a, a Lumbee community called Saddle Tree that's north of Lumberton. Saddle my, Tree, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. That so it's named cool. that Saddle Tree Swamp is one of the tributaries um, of the Lumbee River. Yeah. And a lot of the Lumbee communities are, are named after the swamps that they sit near. I see. Uh, I see. My mom grew up outside of uh, Pembroke, which is a, a small town upriver from Lumberton. And that's the, the site of the university that our ancestors founded in the 1880s. What? Your ancestors founded the university? Really? Yep. Uh, yeah, Holy we got $500 from the state of North Carolina in the 1880s to create a, a teacher training school. That was the first uh, tribal college. That, it, it wasn't, you know, so it doesn't doesn't fall into yeah. the, the tribal college world. Right. It was eventually absorbed into the University of North Carolina system. Right. So the closest thing I know to that school, which today is called UNC Pembroke, yeah. is um, Northeastern State University in Oklahoma. Yeah. Has sort of a similar history uh, of its founding and then getting absorbed into the state university system yeah there's another yeah founded by our ancestors in the 1880s that is crazy there's a number of colleges over there in the east i think that were created to educate indians right and then were eventually uh um converted over i guess or what have you, you know, I just got to thinking something when you were chatting, you know, we have, we have markers here. We kind of think about like the introduction of the gun kind of know when that was introduction of the horse kind of have a good idea when that is. And then, you know, so, like the coming of some religious sect, like the um, black robes or whatever, and then the different waves of um, disease, the seventh day Adventist, the seventh day Adventists. Yeah. What, what, yeah, whichever wave came to your, your neck of the woods. The sixth day. <laughs> what What are some of the key markers in time for you guys? I, I'm really curious. Uh, yeah, that's that is interesting to think about. So after the the disease epidemics and the 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 war that I mentioned, um, what was those? What was that date again? Just roughly. Don't have to be exact, but around 
early 1700s okay. was the the major war in the region it's it's usually called the tuscarora oh, war yeah there were there were um other peoples involved um besides the tuscarora nation so yes. what what's the date you guys place contact at is there a date that you're in your region for contact not not uh there there's not a single date um starting in 1584 if you skip the spaniards and go straight to the english that would yeah. be 1584 oh. um wow. the the carolina colonies Oof. were declared separate colonies in the 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 1600s um, and there was a steady trickle of colonists into north carolina during the 1600s yeah our barrier islands kept a lot of the the people away because there's no North Carolina doesn't have good natural harbors like the Chesapeake Bay or like yeah. Charleston. So it, the Chesapeake Bay and Charleston to the north and the south were the epicenters of colonial expansion after that failed attempt with the Elizabethans in the 1500s. Because hmm. I mean, they were trying to sail their ships through these tiny little inlets. So are you just, talking like what they call like the outer rim? Outer banks. Outer banks. Yeah. Those are, that's, those are our barrier islands. And, and they, they protected native peoples during the 1600s, but you got this trickle of uh, fur traders, um, land speculators and others yeah. coming in from the North and South throughout the 1600s. All that came to a head with this war in the early 1700s, 1712, 1715. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah. So our our people were living on the Lumbee River by the mid-1700s. Okay. Uh, my, wow. I told you that my Emmanuel name comes from... Uh, when, when my family started speaking English, yeah. So our our first ancestors who spoke English lived on uh, one of these coastal rivers, the <laughs> the Roanoke River, in the early 1700s. Um, all all we know about that name is that the the name Manuel, not with an E, the name Manuel was associated with um, with with a settler who lived. Hmm. Um, live nearby and i yeah. think it's fair it's fairly common for people to kind of adopt the names of yeah of english-speaking people yeah uh when when they start speaking english but they with many other families sort of migrated through the remnants of their old territory and ended up 150 miles south in um, the, the swamps of the lumbee river eventually Wow. And along the way, somebody, one of my ancestors decided to add the E to the beginning of our name. Make it sound cooler. So. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, a lot of those things were pretty arbitrary. Yeah. You know, like just the name, like just up until recent, like there's even stories of um, people during World War II. Like there's a story of a guy, uh, uh, he's either Mandan or Hidatsa, where a guy saved him either at D-Day or Battle of the Bulge, and then he just took the guy's last name. Oh, wow. He just like, and it was like a non-Indian last name, you know? Yeah. And that's interesting. And I don't know the, 
our oral history doesn't include the circumstances by which you know, our ancestor took this person's name. I don't know if they were, if there was some family relationship yeah. or if, you know, something happened that inspired them to just like say, I, I want that name. I, we don't know. Yeah. That's well, and then, and the truth is yeah. too, they didn't need a reason. Yeah. It was just as foreign to probably have the last name Manuel versus the E or no E. So what? it's not, it's yeah. not something they're married to, you know, necessarily. Right. You know, so they kind of like, wow, it kind of sounds cool, you know, or maybe yeah. not. I don't know. Maybe they met somebody who had a man, the manual last name, or was like, we want to be different than them. Or, yeah, maybe they owed someone money. <laughs> yeah, it could have been. I have a question though before we get going oh, yeah. because we're, we're getting way too serious for me to want to do this. <laughs> um, can you do the accent of the Outer Banks <laughs> people from yeah. the Outer? No. Do you know what I'm talking about? I, I know what you're talking about. It's called the Holy Toyed. Yeah. What? Uh, Dude, I can't it, I can't really do it though. It is but, bizarre, man. What is this? What is <laughs> it's it? It's like this well, can you can you explain it? What, what it, is it? it's a I think the linguist called a brogue. Mm -hmm. A brogue. <laughs> um, so it's a it's I, to me it sounds like vaguely he almost did Scottish. It. He almost did it. <laughs> He he's got it. He's it's it's distinct. It's okay. a it's very regionally distinct. Um, hoity toity. Is that what you said? Accent. Yeah. What did you call it? It's Aaron weird. Gay, you got it, dude. It's weird, man. <laughs> well, what does it sound it like, Aaron? Weird. Give us an example. I can't even Come do on, it. But like man. the way he said high high tide. Hoi toy. Hoi toy. Like <laughs> it's it's this weird like southern Irish thing. Yeah. Like a southern accent and an Irish accent, like I don't think it's as popular as it used to be. But uh, the, from what I understand, just from linguistics, when you're geographically isolated, your your language or your speech pattern becomes an isolate. So what happened is you got these people who their entire livelihood is fishing fishing off the Outer Banks, and they just kind of isolated themselves in the Outer Banks. So whatever they were time stamped to a particular time. So to whatever this could be the 1600s, 1700s, whatever it is. And it's this combination of like an Irish brogue hmm. and a Southern accent with an English thing going with it. Hmm. It's weird, man. That is, well, you know, my, my people have a, a distinct um, accent as well. If, if you grew up, in Robinson County, I did not, so I don't have it. Huh. Uh, but I can, I can go anywhere and hear. I can hear a Lumbee person who grew up really in Robinson County. Huh. Anywhere I go, if I hear somebody talking, I can say, "Oh, that's a Lumbee." Um, that's bizarre, and it's happened man. to me, like in you know, like Florida or out west. You know, it's it's bizarre and out of place, but it happens often in North Carolina. I can I can always uh, hear. And pick up when yeah. I'm when I'm when I'm hearing another Lumbee voice. How many people speak th that language? Or what's the language family like? What's it called? What what Lumbee? Yeah, we. So I mean, we we don't speak um, any of our ancestral languages from any of those three linguistic groups. There are people who are trying to um, recover those from neighboring tribes who are you know who have their own so what's the closest living what's the, the closest, closest 
uh, the the Catawba language uh, is a is a close neighbor to the the Sheral branch of people, the Suan speaking people, um, hmm. who who are part of the Lumbee tribe. Um, so that huh. that that is one of them. And I know that Catawba people have uh, spent decades trying to revitalize their language. They were down to like a, a handful hmm. um, of of speakers at one point is there is there remnants of of your language that there are there are weird words peppered here and there and i've heard people try to like you know like twist them and make analogies to other living native languages uh, mm-hmm. i see i i don't know how rigorous those comparisons are yeah you know, just sort of uh i little words and mannerisms and and yeah. and ticks that people have in their speech um I, so, I definitely have heard people say oh well this is related to um to, to this word that we can document yeah so with the the language is that kind of a mirror to to like the our original belief system too so is that pretty much gone as well or yeah uh Lumbee people adopted uh protestant christianity in this probably in the mid late 1700s so that's um yeah i think when when you lose language um there's a whole cascade of cultural loss that comes along with it so like um when you were talking about sort of east coast tribes being uh um what's the word i'm searching for um i'm not gonna um, say it <laughs> a, a marker or a warning i'm not, I'm not falling oh, for a it. warning yeah 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 to, oh. to people in the rocky mountains like the yeah. losing losing your language shuts off a chain reaction of cultural loss and you know you could spend generations trying to to eke back you know, well and that's what it is it's out. like minute your growth the for the amount of preservation culture loss, the preservation effort can't match it. Like it can't, it's just, it's mathematically impossible. The amount of effort people put in is minute in comparison to what's lost. So we're always kind of like throwing rocks into the ocean is what it seems like. Yeah. Of course you can't, I mean, you don't want to voice that too much because like it's real defeatist, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. the thing. Yeah. <clears throat> and I, 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 don't I don't think I could have this conversation with just anyone, right? I feel like we're we're in good company where we can we can talk about these things and be real and and know that I'm not being defeatist. I'm, yeah. I'm being realistic. Yeah. And sort of I'm I'm grappling with like how how does my tribe and how do all these other tribes in the region, you know, who have um, some of these same issues with this long legacy of colonialism. Yeah. Uh, how, how do we deal with that? Well, and then I noticed too that becomes the fight. That the fight becomes the culture of that people. So where the religious or the linguistic, the language, song dance dies out, it's replaced immediately with something, and it's typically activism or this political fight. And then that becomes the identity of a people, which is good and is beneficial. But I also think that where those efforts could be made for for culture and for language you know 
you can say, well, we've been fighting for recognition for whatever, or we've been fighting for this, for this. And it's like, wow, you guys could have, you should have like appropriated some effort towards these other things while you had the chance. Yeah. That's you get what really I'm saying? Point. I do. Okay. And you know, one of the, one of the problems is that, uh, I think people recognize that, that this is a multi-front fight and you right. need efforts in all these areas, but you're often forced into like picking where to put your limited resources. And, you know, oftentimes it's, it's sort of in the activism and the, the recognition fight. And some of these other things that are terribly important kind of fall by the wayside. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. 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 I've, I've seen a trend in Indian country across the board that uh, uh, we're slowly replacing our identity with with activism, which is good. Activism is not a bad thing, but I always make this comparison with tribes in the 70s and the 60s when they were fighting for native rights. They were one generation removed from culture and identity if, if some of them were even connected closely to culture and identity so the need for activism for them was like immediate right they understood they were founded culturally grounded then the next generation now we're like two three generations down from now now we see activism as just the culture it's the culture of our people it's what we do so now when there's a protest people just partake right just as you would in a in a function in the past, like a ceremonial function, you would participate in that uh, because that was part of your culture. Now it's like, well, they're protesting. So there's some obligation to be a part of that fight. Yeah. Even if that's not something you necessarily believe in, you know, because now it's seen as this is just what we do. Yeah. But I've, I started seeing this because I used to teach a class called history of Indians in the U S and the, the where it sparked this idea from tribes in the east, especially the southeast, where the efforts to be recognized as humans, right, just to be recognized yeah. as humans, replaced the effort to maintain culture. Because if you're in the, if you still have it, you don't necessarily think like that's not your where your mind's at. So then I started seeing that, and I've seen this trend go as colonization went. That effort came along with it. So. Right. Yeah. It's like, sorry. um, why are you sorry? I talk too much. <laughs> <laughs> it's like some of those things you're talking about, th those are, those are, uh, like, I wouldn't say it embodies this term, but they're like luxury items. You can only do those if you, if you have these other basic needs met. And if your identity is something that's kind of in the, in the, in the in the crosshairs that's going to be something you know your people are going to focus on more so that i like during the aim period I, I don't i don't quite understand the the whole the wholeness of that thing but it seemed like identity was a huge part culture was was getting at a pretty low point so a lot of effort was put into that activism to to maintain that identity and some sort of sovereignty over your your own self i think so i don't know if that plays into what's going on um i mean such a long history that we don't have of contact with the mm -hmm. outside world that it's such an interesting thing and and i know we were going to talk about something very specific but <laughs> we, we we we've been grilling you on who's the lumbi what are they what do they do Wait, well no it's, it's interesting because it, it's yeah i'm pretty naive to it and i, I am too i feel pretty stupid 
right now because well there's this whole segment of indian country that's just been largely ignored by other indian people yeah yeah and that's what really interested me um, when we started chatting about it was uh, you know the, these basic questions like well what what kind of language you got and well we don't have none. well what do you have left nothing i think when we talked you said there was like maybe a few words recorded and i thought wow that just blew my mind so things like like identity like things i think about identity that come from you know 150 years ago like the manner of dress the manner of speaking a lot of those things are gone and you don't have a record of of what that would look like so to reclaim that is really to create something new i guess in a way to generate some new identity i i don't know what, what are your thoughts on yeah that? you know i i appreciate um i appreciate what you said about sort of just the the struggle to be recognized as human yeah um and that when i think about lumbee identity i think about sort of the the centuries long effort yeah. that people have made just to be you know given basic human rights right. including the right to vote the right to yeah. you know, go to school and uh, to not be enslaved. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've got it. I do have an interesting Lumbee, Montana connection oh. that has that's not me. What what is uh, it? You want to hear about it? I do. We okay. all do. So I got to preface it with this story about Lumbee people uh, fighting to be recognized as humans. In 1958, the, the Ku Klux Klan um, came to our territory and decided that they were going to hold um, a rally and that their branding was to, quote, put the Indians in their place. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and they, they rented a field, uh, decided they were going to have their rally in this rented field, and they showed up with 50 guys and... Um, a generator, a PA system, and um, a, a, a light bulb on a pole. Yeah. And so they start up the, the generator to have their rally, yeah. and uh, 500 armed Lumbees and their allies step out of the swamp, <laughs> uh, completely surround them. Uh, somebody shot out the light, and in the <laughs> darkness, everything just went went crazy, and the the Klansmen were completely uh, routed from the uh, from this field. Right. They caught the the Klan leader hiding out in the swamps a couple of days later, and uh, he was put on trial and convicted of inciting a riot by a Lumbee judge. Oh, um, in the community. Huh. So this was in January of 1958. That year in September, the judge gets invited to give a speech at the National Congress of American Indians in Missoula. Oh, really? And so I've, I've got in the, the research materials for my work this year, a, a copy of his speech because it was so, it was so popular that NCAI um, reprinted it as a brochure to circulate to all of the um, yeah. uh, all, all of the the, the, the tribes who, who had attended and it's really it he he only mentions the um, the, the clan routing yeah. in passing yeah uh, his his platform is really all about uh, we we need a national um, Indian voting block 
Yeah. So he was all about um, he was all about voting. Yeah. Uh, and so he gave he gave this speech one calling everybody to like come together and and I guess support certain political candidates nationally. Yeah. Um, but he also make he also made some comments culturally about like how good it was to be in a, a community of native people and to be surrounded by so many elements of traditional cultures. And so like he made, he made this comment in the fifties about um, how he, as a, an elder Lumbee person at that time, like re really lamented not having those, I, I guess they were, I'm, I don't mean to put words in his mouth, but like perceived markers of all, native authenticity because yeah. at this time, I'm sure like the, the Hollywood Western stereotype was really powerful oh, yeah. in probably in, in, in everybody's minds in the U.S. at that time. Yeah, 1958. Uh, but, yeah, he made a remark in his speech that like, you know, he was surrounded by by all of this native culture. Yeah. I thought it was kind of ironic that he like left this epicenter of native culture, but it looked it happened to look very different than yeah. than, than what he envisioned in his mind as like what what Indians are supposed to look like. Well, the war bonnet, man, the war bonnet will do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you just throw that up. I don't care where you go. If someone walks in with a war bonnet, yeah. he's an Indian. Oh, yeah. You're not. <laughs> He's, and did you say and you're not yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. he's I gonna mean, be much wiser for one yeah i mean you're just um, you're done in naturally a storyteller oh um, my gosh you can count on some circular thought oh yeah and uh metaphorical speak oh yeah, yeah. turtle island Turtle. <laughs> that's really interesting uh that that time period 1958 yeah that um I just and just blown away, man. We got so much, <laughs> got so much to talk about. I, I know, dude. He like freaked me out a little bit. Yeah, because my whole world is preservation, right? My whole my work as a tribal historic preservation officer. My job is is partly, at least legally, to to seek the protection and the preservation of culture. Talking to you though makes me very thankful for that i have something to protect yeah. that like i can say there uh, i can go to someone and say well what do we call this place and they'll say it in our language and they'll give us a little narrative and i take that for granted pretty yeah. regularly yeah. like i just i just pick up the phone yeah the fact that i can pick up a number a uh, call a number of people to get some narrative makes me uh appreciate things a little more that it does make my job a lot easier because um, I can't imagine what someone from your tribe, you're, I think there, is there a constant justification? Like you're constantly justifying that you guys are native people, you know? Oh yeah. There's uh, uh, that. Yeah. Just, I'll be completely honest with you. Like it's a, uh, it's, it's sort of this, it's this thing that's ever present. Um, in the room and like you don't know why you feel like you need to do that and you're like you know get behind me colonizer <laughs> well and then I would, I would i mean let's let's call like you're probably having to do it to other native people too like yeah 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 you know, just say it man this is this yep. is honesty hour this is on it's a safe place this is a safe place it is. i mean after we 
publish it. I don't know about that, but <laughs> right now yeah. it's a safe place. <laughs> no, I mean, so that that's been on display. Um, yeah. and, it, and unfortunately it comes on display every time a bill comes up in Congress to amend the, the, the 1956 Lumbee Act, yeah. uh, which is the, yeah, that's the, that's the federal law that, that, that defines who we are uh, in the eyes of the, of, of the government. And so you guys are not. recognized by the federal government, but only <laughs> under executive order or is it a, it's a public law? It's, or whatever? it's a, it's a public law and it, it, it recognizes us in name only. There's a clause in that law that says Lumbee people um, are don't don't have access to any resources or acknowledgement because of their status as as native people. I don't remember the I can't tell you the exact wording, but it's on one hand it says you're Indian people. And then right after that, it says you, you, you get nothing and we have no government to government relationship with you. Oh, damn. Well, I'll tell you what, though. Um, you dodged a bullet on Indian Health Service, though. Yeah, 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 yeah. On paper, it seems seems nice, seems good, but... Uh, yeah, they're just pushing well, ibuprofen. Yeah, yeah, diamond tap, diamond tap, and ibuprofen. <laughs> hey, you know what? Let's, you know, we got more to talk about. Let's wrap it up. Yeah, we do. We do. Let's wrap it up. Yeah, we and, do. And um, we need to get Ryan back on, and we're gonna we're gonna wrangle some schedules. He's a busy guy. He's got. Could a lot you do of, this again, Ryan? Yeah, that's. We didn't I would to love to do this again. What, okay, we didn't even get to yeah. talk about what I know. What I wanted to talk yeah, about because no. you freaking blew my mind. <laughs> yeah. Like it's weird how something so simple could like freak you out a little bit. Yeah, it I, did kind of freak me out a little bit. Hit man. me too. Yeah, I'd love to come back and talk to you some more uh, about uh, historic preservation because that's um, it's something that interests me, but I don't know enough about it to. To have a good conversation, I want to know more. So yeah, maybe, maybe that's not a podcast conversation. Let, no, let's make well, it. Why one. not? Yeah, let's make it one. Why not? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Why not? Why not? Why don't you start a podcast? I will. You and, do and it. You guys can. can hey, you should, call it, you should call it. You should call it Lumbee Noise. Lumbee Noise <laughs> with two E's. Dude, oh, that'd <laughs> be cool. Lumbee Noise. Dude, that's cool. That, with a Z Is that though. Not cool? Nah, we don't got okay, okay, okay. No, 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 we don't got okay, dizzy. We don't got dizzy. dizzy. We don't got right. We don't got. But wouldn't lumpy noise be I, cool? You I will say, say no. that, like, two long term. <laughs> no, it would be cool. Two things I want to do. I want to start a podcast, mm-hmm. and I also want to want to try to bring back some of our canoe um, traditions. Uh, we didn't get to talk about that at all. But my interest in in historic preservation goes back to. Um, uh, People regularly find uh, dugout canoes in our territories that oh, are really? centuries old, you know, wow. like buried at the bottom of the river for 500 years. Wow. We have a game. The crows have this game and they call it, um, I can't remember what it's called now, but it's kind of like dice. And they say that this dice game came from like people south of the Smoky Mountains. Hmm. Isn't that weird? Like that yeah. far over? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But our language comes from that area. North Carolina, Smoky Mountains. That's kind of where you guys migrated um, from, right? 
yeah, they say that that would come from all. I mean, from I mean, but we're that's you're going back quite quite some time, even beyond fifteen hundred. Yeah, man, the migration in fifteen hundred was like that was the second or third Moorhead, North Dakota. You know, (laughs) Uh, you know what I mean? Like that was like from from Devil's Lake, North Dakota, is where that that happened in the migration was all pretty much all of the Western United States, this side of the Sierra Nevada mountains, you know? So, um, but the, my, there was a previous migration from what we believe to be uh, in and around the Smoky mountains to the great lakes. So, and we, and that's during the time when we call ourselves, which means like people on top of the ground. So, Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, we we need to chat. We need to chat more, and then um, let's make it soon if you got time. Maybe uh, maybe next week. I don't know. I don't know. But there's. I don't, a, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if we'll have time. I mean, I don't know. I got call I gotta, me crazy. I, I mean, gotta, call me crazy. I got some home improvement projects I gotta you know attend to, but I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I mean, the grass it could be, it is coming could be, up. But, I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just sorting it out. I, there. I gotta go register lumbynoise.com. There you go. Yeah, Start it up, man. Yeah. We'll 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 guest. I'll I'll be a guest anytime. You let me know. Call it call it Lumby Swamp Talk. <laughs> Even better. Cut names for days. Yeah. Cut names for days. More dirty. Figure out where the Z goes in that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we could figure that out. All right. Well, let's call her quits now. We're good. Everybody's good. You feel you feel okay? Yeah, man. We, we talked for a yeah. long time. We did. All right. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, we're out then. All right. Thank you for joining us on this episode. And if you want to learn more about what we're up to, go ahead and search Tribal Research Specialists in Twitter. Facebook or YouTube and uh, check out our other sites. And uh, if you want to contribute to the show, go ahead and look us up on Patreon. We would appreciate your donations. <laughs>